Now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in, in response to a question, if, if this describes you in a few moments. And, and we, we are a bunch of, like, just rebels here. We don't like to participate in these kind of polls. And so I'm just going to ask you to fight the instinct for just a moment. And it's, a, it's something that I expect to see a lot of hands up. And, and if I don't see a lot of hands, it'll probably just be that you don't want to participate in this. And I guess that'll hurt my feelings a little bit. I'll get over it. We'll, we'll all be fine. But here's the question. How many of you have ever, have ever taken a personality test of any type? Hands up. Oh my goodness, you guys participated. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. I expected to see a lot of hands up. We, these personality tests um, are, are very popular. There's a lot of different ones you can do. We've got, whether it's the Enneagram or the DISC personality profile, there's one called Strengths Finder that I've uh, taken that I really liked. There's a lot of different variations of this, Meyer-Briggs personality assessment, all these things. And when you take these tests, you find out some things about yourself. And it's, it's nice to know those things about yourself. I'm this kind of person. I'm, I thrive in these situations. These are a little more difficult for me. This is the kind of work I enjoy doing. Those sorts of things. Those are the insights we expect to get from a personality test. I have an idea for a new type of personality test, and I don't know if this will go anywhere. It's just something we're spitballing together uh, this morning. But here's an idea. So it's a personality test, but it would align you with, with one of Jesus' disciples. Right, so it's like Andrew, James, John, Peter, like which one you identify with the most. We don't have a lot of information about some of Jesus' disciples. They're just mentioned by name. They're a part of the group, that kind of thing. But some of them, they keep showing up in stories. We have quotes from them. We have things that they did. And, and I, I was thinking about this is how this would work, right? So you got Andrew, who just seems very personable. He's always bringing people to Jesus. Anytime we see Andrew, he's with a person bringing them to Jesus. And, and so maybe that would be, he'd be a very social person that's all about connecting people with Jesus maybe. You've got James and John who have the epic wrestling type nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Right? I love that. I love that name, the Sons of Thunder, right? And they're, they're, they're like the people most likely to call down, ask Jesus if they can call down fire from heaven on a village that's treated them poorly, right? And I don't know what that tells us about their personality, but maybe you don't want that one. Um, and then you've got Peter, right? And Peter is so relatable to me. Some of you um, feel like you're Peter most of the time, or you're kind of, it's kind of up or down. He, he's more of a act first, think later kind of person, right? And Peter, from the, from the stories that we have of him in the Gospels, which I think makes him relatable. Like he's a beloved character. He will eventually go on to lead the, be the first leader in the early church. And all of us, whether or not you can relate to Peter all the time, we definitely have our Peter moments, right? We have times where we say something that we probably shouldn't have said, or we act first, think later. I think the one downside of this personality profile test that I'm thinking of is that, like, what if you got Judas on the test, your, like, test results? Like, oh, you're likely to betray someone. Like, oh, no, that's not, that's probably a downside, right? So that's maybe the, the idea is not that great. But we're in this series right now called Meeting Jesus. And each week we've been looking at these stories. This is week three of the series. We're talking about people whose lives crossed with Jesus. Last week was a little bit of a departure from that theme. We were talking about Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness. Um, but, but this week we're back to looking at these ideas of Jesus crossing paths with people and the difference that Jesus made. We're looking at the stories around these people meeting Jesus. And we're using this series as a study of the life of Christ. We're looking at the life of Jesus. We want to know Jesus better. As we move towards Easter Sunday, which is just, I don't know, a little over a month away or a couple months away now. Um, yeah, 
couple months away. I was starting to panic. We got some planning to do if it's, if it's a month away. Um, April 9th is Easter Sunday, and all through, from now through Easter, we'll be looking at the life of Christ together, specifically looking at these meetings that take place. And today we're talking about Jesus and Peter in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, devices, etc., get ready to look at the text together today. Luke chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. It'll also be on the screen behind me, so if you don't have access to the Bible any other way, certainly follow along on the screen behind me. So Luke chapter 5, and we're reading verses 1 through 11. This is early in the ministry of Jesus. He has not selected all of his disciples yet. Um, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon Peter um, is a, as I mentioned, a character that we hear about a lot in the scriptures. There's a lot of stories involving him. Um, He's the guy who tries to I mean, I don't know if he's trying to cut someone's ear off, but he cuts someone's ear off when Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's heading towards the cross and Jesus heals this man, you know, and it's like yet another Peter stumble that he's made. But here's this beginning of his relationship with him and between him and Jesus. And the, the first time, this we, likely not the first time that Jesus met Peter, we, we have a, a time where he's, Jesus renamed him. So I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock, because on, on this rock, we will, I will build my kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he's going to use Peter to be someone who leads the church. And we also have a story right before this of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. So we know that Peter was married. And maybe even, depending on where we put the call of Peter into the accounts of the gospel, this might have not been the uh, first time that he's followed him at some level. Maybe he followed him temporarily, went back to fishing. We're not exactly sure um, how all those events played out. But here's this moment at Gennesaret, which is another way of saying the Sea of Galilee, right? It's the name that um, is the Sea of Galilee. I think it's called Kinneret in, in Israel today. But the Galilee is this place where these people made their living, and it's where Jesus, a lot of Jesus' ministry took place. And there's a crowd of people. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, and I love this note from Scripture about why they were there. There was a crowd of people pressing in on Jesus. They couldn't get close enough. And why they were there was to hear the word of God, which I, I love that. 
These people are hungry. They're looking for something. And they, they see that Jesus has what, what they need. Jesus is offering something unique. It's almost like these people are saying, we've, we've been searching, we've been looking for things to fulfill us, but what you have is different. What you have is unique. And they're there to hear the word of God. But they're getting so close to him. And Jesus uh, does something which I think is a healthy practice. He gets some distance between them and the crowd, between the crowd and himself, by getting into a boat. The boat's there by the sea. These fishermen had gone out of them. They were washing their nets. They'd done with their night of fishing or very early morning of fishing. And they, he gets into the boat and he picks a boat, I think pretty strategically as Jesus does most of his things he does or all of his things he does. And he, it's Peter's boat. He says, hey, can we back the boat out into the water a little bit and I can have some distance between me and the crowd. Everyone can hear what I'm saying. And he gets out there and finishes uh, his teaching. And by the way, this repairing of nets thing is an is a interesting note that they, the fishermen would throw the nets into the sea. That was their method of fishing. They're not out there with the you know, rod and reel trying to catch fish, but they're trying to, this, these are commercial fishermen. They're trying to catch a large amount of fish. And after the night of fishing, the very important work of mending your nets, cleaning and mending your nets takes place. You're going to get all the little algae things off and all the stuff of the weeds from the bottom of the, 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 the sea there, the lake and clean it all up, and if there's any rips in the rope, you're going to repair that, and then you're going to lay it out to dry, because if you don't do that, it'll rot, and then it's ready for the next day of fishing. It's hard work, and I don't know what your picture in your mind of Simon Peter is, like when you think about, you know, I think we all do this sometimes where we have a little mental image, like what is that, what is that like, and if you're thinking of Peter as something other than a commercial fisherman that makes his living on the water, like you, you might need to readjust your image. This is a tough person. Typically, people that do that kind of work are hardy, tough people. And Jesus has this captive audience in the boat, which I, I just love. Like, Simon Peter has to hear him preach now because he's out there in the boat. And we don't know what Jesus was teaching about. We know the kinds of things that Jesus taught about, the kingdom of heaven and what God is like, how we can, how we can know him and what God requires of us and how we fall short of that and things like that. And and. Peter's out there just listening, probably, and then, the, then it's over. Then it's like, hey, that's all I got for you, everybody. You're dismissed. We'll see you next time or whatever, the kind of thing I might say at the end of a Sunday service. But then he says to Peter, hey, let's go out into the deeper water, and I want you to let down your nets for a catch. And at this point, we do not know what Peter is thinking, but we do know what he says, right? Peter's response to Jesus is, Master, we toiled all night, and caught nothing. I think that word is interesting too, toil. We worked hard at this, and every time we brought the nets back, they were empty. All night. We kept doing it over and over again. We toiled all night, and we caught nothing. And then maybe he's thinking, Jesus, I, I know that you're a tradesman. I know you know carpentry, but I know fishing. And by the way, me, I'm not a fisherman. Like, I fished twice in my life, and, and so if I ever offer you fishing advice just feel free to dismiss it. I have no idea what I'm talking about, right? And so maybe he's thinking that about Jesus. Like, your teaching's pretty good, but don't give me fishing advice. But Jesus had won Peter's respect. And Peter knew there was something special about him. And he calls him master. He says, master, we toiled all night 
and we caught nothing. But at your word, we'll do it. And this word master here is an interesting word because it's a title of respect, but also the word that you would use for someone who was like the captain of your ship. If someone was the, the, the owner of the ship, the, the person who's the captain or whatever, it's like, you're master? It's like, all right, captain, we'll throw those nets down. You know, I don't know if that's, if there was some sarcasm there or not, but we do know that Jesus had Peter's respect. And I find it interesting that this very place of failure where Peter had experienced this night of frustration, Jesus calls him right back out there. I want you to go out to where you failed and I want you to let down your nets for a catch. And I think that's just like God to do that sometimes. I've experienced in my own life of times of where I've felt like a place represented failure for me and Jesus brought me back there and redeemed it. And I think he does that sometimes. Shows that I can use this, even this broken memory, even this difficult thing you've been through and redeem this and show you how I was was always with you even when you weren't acknowledging me. We also see something about obedience in this passage. What if Peter would have said, Jesus, you know carpentry, I know fishing, that is silly to throw down the nets for a catch. The fishing is not good right now and it's gonna be even worse if it was not good last night because the fish are going into the deeper water to get away from the heat of the sun for the day. They'll be out tonight. We can try again tonight maybe, but last night fishing was bad. He could have missed out on something incredible, but Peter was obedient. Jesus told him to do something and he did it. And what happens next is this miracle of Jesus where they pull up the nets and they realize that they have way more fish than they're able to carry on their boat and they're going to need some help. The nets are breaking. They signal for help. Get over here. Help us with it. You know, shouting across the water. They get the other boat there. They fill both the boats so full that they begin to sink. These are not little rowboats. These are bigger boats out there, maybe 16, 20 feet, up to 30 feet long. And they begin to sink because of this massive catch of fish. And Peter's response is so instructive for us. The way he responds to this incredible moment is he realizes something. He has a realization. This man, Jesus, is more than a man. He has power. There's something unique about him. Jesus has power over creation. He he could summon fish. Pretty amazing. And Peter's reaction is not like, hey, please do that once a week. We'll go into business together, Jesus. And Jesus responds, you know, famous line from the movie Jaws, you're going to need a bigger boat, you know. (laughs) He doesn't even say like, wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Like this represents a lot of income for me. He doesn't say that. He falls at his knees and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Falls down in front of Jesus. You need some space. You need to get away from me, Jesus. There's something about you that is powerful, that is special and and you're you're not going to want to be around someone like me. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. There's this realization of the power and the holiness of Jesus that rocks Peter. He's he's shaken. 
And we see this other times in scripture that every time people realize they are in the presence of a holy God, that moment of realization is like a spotlight on their lives. They, they look at God and all of a sudden then they look at themselves and they go, what is in me, who I am, does not match the presence of this holy God that I see before me, the glory of God. I'm not someone that, there's a contrast between me and it. Right, we, anytime you see something, like you're, you're in those, um, like when you go into a dressing room and you try something on and they've got the weird lighting in the dressing room and you, you see yourself or you see the, the, the way the clothes fit or whatever, and you see, like you see yourself in a new light, there's a certain kind of light, or you got the mirror, you know, that's just surrounded by lights, and you begin to notice things uh, like, oh, I did not realize the wrinkles that I'm starting to see on my face, you know, it's like, and I did not brush thoroughly enough this morning, you know, um, or, or whatever it might be, like I, I missed some spots when I was shaving, right, that bright light is shining on you, and you see yourself in the reflection, and you begin to realize things about yourself. In the book of Isaiah, where we have this story of Isaiah seeing the Lord, this vision of the Lord in the temple. And he says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And immediately his response is like, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And an angel takes a coal, burning coal from the altar and cleanses Isaiah's lips, right? Prepares him for the ministry that God is calling him to do. Peter feels exposed in this moment. Peter's having the same response that Isaiah had. Peter's in the presence of the living God, holy and unique, and he's realizing that Jesus is more than a man. And his response to Jesus reflects this, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord, if you knew who I was, like you wouldn't want to be around me. And Jesus' response to Peter is so insightful, so meaningful, and it tells us so much about our need and the heart of God to meet that need. Because Jesus' response to Peter was not like, oh, you're a what? You're a sinner? I'm sorry. Like, I, my mistake, if I would have realized you were a sinner, I would have gotten to a, a different boat, right? I didn't realize you were a sinner. My bad. Right, that's not how Jesus responds to him. He, said, he didn't say, like, I should have used that miracle on somebody else, Peter, my mistake, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to need those fish back. Can you get those fish back to me? Right, Jesus knew exactly who Peter was. And he was there on purpose, he was there for Peter. And he looks at him kneeling at his feet and responds in a way that I imagine was just full of love and compassion towards Peter. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You're going to be gathering people. The way you've gathered all these fish, you're going to be gathering people into my family. And Peter's response to Jesus before he gets this gracious response to him was half right and half wrong. And here's what I mean. So he says, I am a sinful man. That's right. That's correct. But then he says this other part where he says, depart from me. Like, get away from me, Jesus. I shouldn't be near you. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be near me. I'm a sinful man. That's the wrong part. But this is what, this is what people do. This is what people tend to do. They, they, I've seen this so many times. I've been a pastor for 20 years. And I see this so many times in, in, 
my ministry and just in relationships with people that when life is broken, when life is messed up, when people feel exposed in some way, they go like, man, I, I am sinful. They run from Jesus or they run from the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, his church. They, they distance themselves like, I'll come back when I get myself all sorted out. But right now I need some distance between me and Jesus. And this is so it's, it's almost an intuitive thing, right? But, it, but it's so destructive. It continues the brokenness. It, the place where you can receive hope and help, you run from. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I want to give you a couple of reasons. I think one reason we do this, and that you, I think you can all, if we're being really honest with ourselves, I think we can relate to this idea. Like, I am in a sinful place right now. I'm in a broken place. And so I need some distance between me and Jesus. And when I get that figured out, I'll come back. Or like people just out in the world that have never, you know, they, they go like, my life is a mess and faith might help me. Christian faith might help me in some way. But I've heard someone say this. Someone walked into our church at our old building and they said, I always thought if I ever walked into church, the building would fall down. <clears throat> and I, I, that's a striking thing to say, right? That's not, that's not what happened. The building was just fine. But it's this instinct that people have where they go, I, I, I'm not good enough to be in God's presence. But Jesus was there because for that very reason. Jesus knew exactly who Peter was. So I think one thing we, there's three reasons I'm going to give you why we, why we do this, why we pull away from Jesus. One, we don't understand the mission of Jesus. We don't understand the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. I want to read a verse from 1 Timothy 1.15. This is by the Apostle Paul writing to his friend Timothy, this young leader that he's working with and discipling. He's, he's a pastor and he writes this letter to him and he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's saying this, this saying, it's trustworthy, and you should fully accept it, grasp it. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, just to be clear, I think I'm the foremost sinner. I'm the chief of sinners, other translations say. He's like, he came to save sinners, and that's really good news for me because I'm a really bad one. And I think Paul was probably pretty moral. He was a Pharisee before he came to Christ. I, I imagine he did... For the most part, he tried to live an upstanding good life. But he realizes in the presence of God that even his righteousness is as filthy rags, as scripture says. That he fell short. He needed Jesus. He needed a savior just like anybody else. And he says, I'm the chief of sinners. This is the whole reason Jesus came, is to save sinners. And so that's great news for Peter, because he is one. That's great news for all of us, because we are ones too. Jesus came to save sinners. So don't Apart from him or try to get some distance between you and Jesus. The whole good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save sinners. And the second reason why we run from Jesus like this and, and this thing that we can relate to and what was going on with Peter, we're told very explicitly that he was afraid. We, we are fearful. That's why we pull away from God when we're struggling or when we're stuck in sin. We're fearful. Peter was afraid. When our life is exposed, right, when we find ourselves in this position where life is crumbling around us or the, the consequences of our actions or other people's actions are affecting us, we feel exposed and we are afraid. We are fearful of being judged by God, maybe, and certainly fearful of being shamed. We don't want to experience the shame of, 
of just condemnation and things like that. And, and if we understand the gospel, once again, we, this helps us deal with this. Jesus very graciously and lovingly says to Peter, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. He sees Peter as fearful. And that's why he wants Jesus to get away from him. And he says, don't be afraid. Jesus is caring for his heart in this moment, which is so amazing that Jesus would do this. That he loves him enough to like, you're feeling something and this feeling is keeping you away from me or wanting you to, this fear is causing you to try to have distance between me and you. But I care about that too. Don't be afraid. I think the third reason why we run from Jesus in this way is not reflected in this passage as much, but we see the opposite of it and it's pride. Our pride will keep us from, from running to Jesus instead of running, or yeah, from running to Jesus. Um, our pride will keep us in this place of wanting to have distance between us and Jesus. Peter was extremely humble in this moment. He says, I'm a sinful man. He falls at Jesus' needs. He, he, he humbles himself physically and emotionally before Jesus. He's humble in the presence of God. And scripture tells us that's what we need to do when we need God's grace, when we, which is all the time. We need to draw near to the throne of grace where we can find mercy in our time of need. And if we really understand this, Tim Keller talks about this idea that if the gospel makes us confident and humble at the same time. We're humble because we recognize our, our situation without Jesus. We, we are in desperate need of a savior and, and our Lord. We need Jesus. We need him. And that makes us humble that we can't save ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and make a difference for our eternities. And so we're humble. We need Jesus, but we are confident because we know we are loved. And Jesus tells us to draw near to him. Don't be afraid. I've got a plan for you, Peter. I know who you are. I know what your struggles are. But I came for you. And I have a mission for you. I'm going to cleanse that. I'm going to cleanse that sin that you're struggling with. And so we have the confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. Blaise Pascal was a genius. He was a mathematician, um, philosopher, and uh, from the, I think the 1600s is when he lived. He talked about this idea of, of having both of these things in, in tension with each other, this confidence and humility. He says, the knowledge of God without that of our wretchedness creates pride. But the knowledge of our wretchedness without that of God creates despair. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is the middle way because in him we find both God and our wretchedness. That both things are true of us. That we, we are loved and, and grace is there for all the takers. And we have a realistic picture of who we are. I think this miraculous catch of fish was such a wonderful symbol of God's grace. Right, Peter had been toiling and throwing that net out over and over again and it kept coming back empty. But all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and everything's different. When Jesus is there, everything that he was looking for, he finds in Jesus. So many religions, apart from Christianity, talk, this, talk about the idea of just this, this religious practice and this idea of, it, to me, it sounds like this striving. You're just working so hard to please God. I've got to do all these things and check all these boxes so God will be happy with me and maybe let me into heaven someday when I die. And the message of the gospel is so different from that. 
It's the, it is a gift given to any who would receive it. And in their receiving is the transformation. Jesus makes us new. He, he gives us a, a new heart, takes out the heart of stone that the book of Ezekiel talks about and gives us a heart of flesh and gives us his Holy Spirit and then helps us to obey him then. And our fuel source is entirely different from what the other religions offer us. Jesus offers rest for us, not toil. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, Jesus is teaching and he says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus stands up and says, come to me. Those of you who are toiling like Peter was doing on the lake that night and coming up empty and just dealing with more and more frustration and hopelessness, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And not just physical rest, as wonderful as a nap is, he's offering something more than that. He's offering rest for your souls, for your weary souls that need rest, that need refreshment. That's what Jesus offers. So I want to ask you this morning, where have you been throwing your net and coming up empty? The, The world, our world tells us where to find hope and fulfillment and all that you've ever been looking for. Our world offers these different things. It's in, it's in money, it's in sex, it's in power, it's in all the things that the world offers. It's stuff, it's achievement, it's substances maybe. We throw our net and in the hopes of a great catch and come up empty over and over again. But then Jesus says, come to me and rest. I'll give you what you're looking for. I'll give you that purpose. I'll give you that hope. I'll give you that fulfillment. I'll give you the peace that only he can offer. You'll find rest for your souls only in Jesus. Jesus offers Simon Peter a a cause in addition to this place where he can find forgiveness from a savior for his sins, of his sins. But he gets to be a part of, of the, he gets to be a follower of Jesus. But not like in the back of the crowd, like Peter, you did mention when we were meeting that you're a sinner. And so I've got a special place for you at the back of the group. You know, you're going to be like part of the group. You're included, but kind of need to keep some distance between me and the sinners, right? No, Jesus is right in the mix. Jesus is there with them. He, the people that acknowledge their need of a savior, he's right there with them. And it turns out sinners are just more, people that are open, that realize that about themselves, they're re- They're there. And so they're ready to embrace Jesus and Jesus is there ready to embrace them. And he doesn't offer Peter a position just at the back of the followers list, but he offers him this position as part of the inner circle that during Jesus' ministry, Peter, James, and John will be these three people who witness these incredible moments. They have the closest view. They see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, transformed into this who he was before he came down, the glory of God. They, They are there Um, as a part of this inner group of disciples. And he's the first leader of the church, this self-described sinner. The terms that Peter uses for Jesus in this story are interesting to us. I mentioned earlier that he calls him master. Like, all right, master, you said that, so I'll do that. I'll throw the nets out. And in, in this moment where Jesus, where Peter's standing before, kneeling before Jesus at his knees, he calls him Lord. He, 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 from this respectful kind of term to now this new level of respect, like I'm beginning to understand, you're, you, sh- 
You're the leader. You're the master. More beyond that, you're, you're the Lord. And this term Lord is, was often used um, this, this, as a, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, right? This is, he's the Lord. And he's given a mission. And I think what Jesus came to do on a global scale for our whole earth, our whole world, he did for Peter on a personal level. Right, the story of our, our scriptures from, from the time of creation and the fall and the brokenness that entered the world, that sin causes separation. And that's actually what Peter wanted in that moment. Like, I, I realize my sin and there probably should be some separation between you and me. Peter would feel more comfortable in that environment if God was a little more distant. And that's the way the world is. There's this gap between humanity and God. But Jesus came to bridge the gap. Jesus came to bring us back to God by bringing God to us. And Jesus takes sinners and he saves them of their sins. He begins to restore their lives. He makes them a new creation. He sanctifies them, purifies them. He sends them on a mission, just like he did for Peter. You're going to be fishers, fisher of men now. There's a moment in Peter's life after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus where this story comes back for Peter in a really powerful way. The story's in, I believe it's John 21 or John 20. I think it's John 21 um, or 20 and 21. But I'm just going to kind of recap the story a little bit. You don't have to get there. Yeah, John 21. But this is what happens. So we know the story, if you know the, the, from the Gospels, that Peter betrays Jesus. He says, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, tonight you're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You are going to deny me, Peter. I've been pouring into you. We've been doing ministry together for several years. And now it's this moment where Jesus has come to do this thing, to die, give his life as a ransom for many, offer his life on the cross for us. And, and Peter has seen the risen Lord by the time John 21 rolls around. He's seen him. But he, he goes back to fishing. He goes back to his life before Jesus. And it's this... I don't know if that was his way of life now or just something he was doing because he was discouraged and that was something he did. But he's at the Sea of Galilee and they're, they're out there fishing. They don't catch anything. They see someone on the shore. They're not sure who it is. And they says, do you have any fish? And they say, no, we don't have anything. And he says, well, let your nets down on the other side of the boat and you'll find some fish over there. And they do it and they recognize that there's this, another miraculous catch of fish. And they know instantly that's Jesus. He's doing it again. The same thing he did when we were first meeting him. He's doing it again now. And Peter realizes, John says to him, it's the Lord. And this time, Peter cannot get to Jesus fast enough. This time he throws off, he's got his, like puts his cl cloak on and then jumps into the water, which is just silly. Like you don't put your cloak on if you're going to try to go swimming, right? He, he cannot get to Jesus fast enough. And he has this moment of restoration with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee place where they first met. And Peter, Jesus offers him a chance to reaffirm his love for him three times. And then he says the same words that they said at the beginning, follow me. And Jesus is restoring Peter's heart. He's forgiving him and he's redeploying him. And then just a few weeks later, Peter stands up before a crowd of thousands. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. It's Pentecost. They've received this empowering from God that they've been praying for and waiting for. And he stands up and gives a sermon in front of thousands. And this 
prophecy, this thing that Jesus spoke into his life many years before comes true. He's gathering thousands into the community of Christ. This fisher of men is welcoming all these people into the family of God. I encourage you this morning to run to Jesus, not away from Jesus. To, to receive him as your savior if you've never done that. And as people who have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if you've been off track in any way, come back to Jesus. Run to him. We need him constantly. We always are in need of our, of our Savior. Our life is this life of repentance and cleansing from him. That, that's how Christianity works. We offer our things, our shortcomings up to God, and we say, take this. I'm, I'm a sinful person, but you can handle this. Like, please cleanse this. Please restore me. Help me to obey you. Help me to follow you. Use me in what you're doing in this world. So that's our prayer. And would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this story from the life of Peter. We thank you for the, Lord, the way that you encountered Peter, the way that you interacted with him. Lord, Lord Jesus, we thank you for words of peace that you spoke into Peter's life when he was feeling conflicted about whether or not he could even be in your presence. And Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room that, that needs to know you in that way, Lord, that feels like they, they, it was hard for them to get here today, but they came and they're not sure where they stand with you. But Lord, I pray that you would welcome people into your family right now. Any in this room who has yet to put their faith in you, Lord, you, you, you're there ready to welcome them in. And so I pray that they would see you that way, they would experience you that way. And Lord, for anybody who's like just burdened with sin this morning, the struggles, the weight. Lord, Hebrews 12 tells us that we're running a race and we need to get rid of the sin that clings so closely and run the race and look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to lay something down so they can open their hands to receive the grace that you are just offering, may we do that right now. May we experience the peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, this gift of your grace, help your people, Lord. Struggles, that, the burdens that we bring with us, we carry with us, Lord, may we lay them down. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would help our lives to be these lives of repentance, these lives of recognizing that what we need most is God's grace and we need to enter into your presence, draw near to the throne of grace, your word tells us so that we might find the mercy we need in times, of, in times of need. So Jesus, help us with that. Help us that just be our life that we're regularly saying, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. May there never be distance between us and you. May we walk through this life as close as we can with you. And Lord, the parts of us that don't match when that bright light shines on us, Lord, may we, may we just deal with those things, cleanse us, purify us, help us to know you more. We're grateful, Lord, that we can gather in your presence and worship you and sing praises to you and receive communion together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.